truth, perspective, and growth. This is the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. And from the inside, there's this fresh new energy and love flowing through the family of God, This the followers of Jesus that are uniting them together. But what about Jewish tradition? Was all of that thrown out the window with this new energy and this new love and this new commitment? Do we just get rid of Jewish tradition or do we make everybody follow it? Thank you for tuning in. This is the Discipleship Podcast. I'm Michael Carroll, your host and your friend as we navigate God's Word together. The purpose of the show, and of course, for anyone who takes on the discipline of studying God's Word, is to gain solid ground through which you can read, pray, and understand Scripture in a way that is transformational. Our goal is to know God in a deeper way, to live with a stronger sense of His presence all around us, ultimately to reflect his image, his love, and his values to the world around us. And by doing this, we fulfill our role as his children, his image bearers on this earth. Listen, guys, we are the priests of this earth. That's what the New Testament says about the church. And in order to reflect and represent God well, we must first grow in our knowledge and understanding of him, his culture and values, and understand deeply what his will is for our lives. So thank you for taking the time to tune in. I pray that these episodes serve the purpose of helping you grow in your knowledge of God and give you the tools that you need to study the Bible for yourself with better clarity and understanding. And I know as you do, your life will forever be changed. Well, just a couple announcements before we get going. Uh, First off, I hope you guys are having a great day wherever you're tuning in. I hope everything is going well. We have a couple conferences coming up. First off, September September 20th and 21st, ladies, if you are in the central Florida area, matter of fact, or even if you're from out of state, Brave Women, that's a ministry of, uh, of my home church, City Life Church, is putting on the Brave Conference, and you do not want to miss this. This is going to be an incredible couple days of powerful, inspiring messages, and it's a great time to gather with other women from across the world and worship in God's presence. It's going to be a great couple days, and you do not want to miss it. So if you can make it, you can register online at braveconference.cc, or you can follow Brave Tampa on Instagram or Facebook. Also, More Than Words Conference. Man, I am pumped about this. It is just around the corner. Mark your calendars, November 8th and 9th. You do not want to miss this. Louis Giglio, Bethel Music, Carl Lentz, Jesus Culture, and my good friend Gus Cabrera, the founder of More Than Words, and is going to be speaking, and so many other people are going to be there. I will be there. I would love to connect with you if you want to come out or can make it. This is going to be a youth or young adult conference, and you do not want to miss it. If you know somebody who maybe isn't walking with the Lord, guys, this is the perfect time. This is the perfect conference to bring somebody who needs to hear the gospel message. So please, if you're able to make it November 8th, November 9th, mark your calendars. It's going to be at the Bradenton Convention Center. You can follow More Than Words on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. Um, And please, 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 uh, would love to have you come out. It's going to be an amazing event. Well, for those of you who've been following along with us, uh, maybe you've just tuned in uh, to the show and this is your first time listening, we are on episode two of our Who is Paul series. In this past week, I've been studying and digging into the background of the Apostle Paul, and I've got to tell you guys, 
this series is, has been fun for me. So thank you for uh, allowing me to put on the series because it's actually pushing me into a deeper study of Paul. And I'm realizing that there's so much more behind this man that when you understand it, his letters just become so much more powerful and so much more effective. So let's not waste any more time. Let's just get right into it. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I Father, I, br- I pray for your presence, God. And Lord, I pray for your spirit to mark your word, God. And Lord, as we go into your word, Father, I pray that you open our eyes and open our ears to hear and understand what you are speaking to us, God. And Lord, I believe that as we receive from you, our lives will forever be changed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, we left off with Paul in episode one, who at this point is still being called Saul of Tarsus in the Bible. And uh, so in this episode, I'll still be calling him Saul. But we left off with Saul on the famous road to the Damascus revelation. Saul had an amazing encounter with Jesus. And as Saul was reflecting on the kingdom and his loyalty to the one God of Israel, he came face to face with Jesus. And Jesus revealed himself as the one who fulfilled all of the long-awaited promises and prophecies which Saul had spent his entire life praying, reading, and focusing on in his own life. This Jesus, who was the one he was setting out to expose, by the way, and stop the movement that he had begun before going to the cross, this Jesus was the very one who Saul's own loyalty and zeal was directed to. Now, of course, this dramatically changed and shifted Saul forever, but we need to be clear on certain things before moving forward into the story of Saul, who would eventually become known as Paul the Apostle. First off, most people look at this this uh, this road to Damascus. A lot of people will call it the Damascus conversion, or uh, or Saul. They imagine Saul being radically converted and thinking in a completely different new way uh, as the Apostle Paul. And in a lot of ways, this is true. He was thinking in a new way, but it wasn't so much different as it was enhanced. Saul was not radically convert, converted. Rather, I would say he was radically convinced. His belief in the God of Israel and the Torah, that did not change. In Saul's eyes, they were greatly enhanced. He did not lose his loyalty and zeal towards Torah, the temple, or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, one could actually say that his stance and his uh, anguish and passion for Israel actually even grew even stronger as his time spent, as time went on, reflecting upon Jesus being the central of Scripture. Uh, Saul would become even more zealous and even more passionate about Jesus the true fulfillment of of God's promises. And we'll see this in action as we move forward in the story. But there's an important piece of the puzzle that you have to grasp in order to understand the dynamics that we read about in Paul's letters in the book of Acts. This revelation of Jesus that Paul had was incredibly scandalous. It was insulting to the Jews who Saul would try to share this with. This was not a message that was uh, welcomed greatly and, and, and everybody was uh, celebrating about. There were many people who were deeply, deeply offended by this new teaching of a crucified, risen uh, Messiah, a crucified and risen Messiah. No one would have ever expected that this long-awaited Messiah of Israel would be a man who would be crucified and would die a shameful and bloody death at the hands of the pagans to say the least. This was not something that Israel would have been expecting or would have been wanting. 
This Messiah was supposed to look more like King David, a warrior, a king, one who would overthrow the pagan rulers of the world and and take his seat on the throne of his temple and rule the world from there with perfect justice. The fact that none of this happened through the life of Jesus would soon prove to make it impossible for some Jews to truly believe that Jesus could even be a Messiah, the one who was promised throughout their scriptures. They would just flat out refuse to believe that their Messiah was Jesus, that their Messiah was a crucified man, and that this allegedly risen savior of the world who did not move a finger against the pagan nations and left Israel in the same condition that they were in when he arrived on the scene was the long-awaited king. This in their eyes was pure blasphemy, and anyone who was coming around with this message needed to be stopped. And this was the zeal that Saul of Tarsus was carrying in his heart as he was on his way to Damascus. It was his loyalty to the Torah. It was his loyalty to God. It was his loyalty to the long-awaited promises of Messiah that caused him to persecute Christians. And this was the same loyalty and the same zeal that his brothers and sisters of the Jew, uh, of uh, and other Jewish leaders in the area and loyal Jews would have had. This would be the same zeal that they would have been carrying in their heart as they heard this message, this new, radically different message that Saul was now carrying. But from what we learn of Saul, and we will start calling him Paul soon in the next episode, this doesn't deter him. This doesn't slow him down. The same zeal, the same passion, the same deep loyalty to the Torah and the God of Israel was still very much alive in him. And he just couldn't help but think about what all of this means now. Saul had been headed to Damascus. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias that the Lord appeared to and would send to meet Saul and baptize him, giving him confirmation of what he had experienced. Saul had been blinded by this piercing light of God's glory and Ananias ended up coming to Saul and praying for him, and Saul regained his vision and strength. Saul eventually would go on into the synagogues of Damascus and through his deep well of scripture that his mind was saturated with proved to be very effective because Saul would begin to prove to those who would listen that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. But this didn't last long and a plot to murder the young Saul had been discovered and so they got him out of there and the book of Acts tells us that he went on to Jerusalem where Saul would discover the same type of treatment. The Jews just didn't want him around. And even the Jesus followers who were wary of this newly transformed, zealous and loyal Jew who could not stop talking about Jesus were a little uncertain of how Saul was going to fit in. He was being a little bit too disruptive. So a man named Barnabas, who would become key in the story, would eventually vouch for Saul in front of the other apostles. And this gave Saul some sort of temporary freedom to share the news about Jesus in Jerusalem. But this didn't last very long. Again, Saul's life was on the line and they had to get him out of town. So they sent him back to Tarsus and this would be the time in Saul's life that we can call the silent decade. Now, we call it the silent decade, not because Saul was silent, but because at first glance, the Bible doesn't give us any information about what happened in Saul's life during these 10 years. And just by reading through the book of Acts, it's easy to feel as if these things are just happening one after another. But Luke is skimming through a lot of time, just getting the basic essentials of the story down. So we need to slow down and realize that this is not just happening, boom, 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 one thing after another. But during this 10 years, 
what Saul was up to would be very important for us to understand why and how he would pop back up in Acts and how all of this had formed him into the apostle who would go on to pen a large portion of the New Testament and write letters that would live on to change the world forever. Now, there's no doubt that Saul would have instantly reflected upon this newly found revelation. Think about it. Saul himself was a devout student of the scriptures. He knew the Torah. He knew the Psalms. Saul knew the stories of God's long-awaited and expected king. He knew this like the back of his hand. So if Jesus was truly the God of Israel embodied, the one who would fulfill all of God's ancient promises, then this means that a new world was launched, the world that the Bible had always talked about. And if this is the case, and the power of darkness really was conquered and overthrown, then there would be nothing holding back the pagans from being invited into this family as well. It was long known that the pagans, the Gentiles, they were controlled by the dark and menacing powers that were ruling behind the scenes. But in this new world that Paul no doubt would be reflecting upon during these 10 years, the God of Israel must become the God of the world. Paul would have been reflecting upon the Psalms. And in Psalm 47, verse 8 through 9, we read that God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Saul would have reflected on this and seen the reality of Jesus being the king over the entire world and all nations being welcomed into the family. Saul would have gone back and read through Genesis. He would have read through Exodus and and read through the great Passover and saw Jesus right in the middle of it. He would have read through the Psalms and prophets and seeing Jesus at the center of it all would have saw the scriptures come to life like it never had before. Jesus truly had fulfilled the scripture as he said he did. And if this was the case, then everything changed. A whole new stage of God's plan for humanity had been launched. And the way we read the scripture had to come into alignment with this new plan. This was what God had been planning to do all along. Paul would later write a letter to the Corinth, uh, to the church in Corinth saying, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. This was likely a conviction that he would grow during this silent decade in Tarsus, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. Paul was an extremely brilliant man, a scripture-filled mind from a young age of knowing the Torah, knowing the prophets, knowing the Psalms. And here we see him saying that he's taking all of these thoughts, all of this revelation, all of these things that he has pondered since a young man, and he has made it obedient to Christ. And he has seen Jesus in the center of it all. And for Paul, he's saying that it all clicks together and it fulfills this long story of the Bible. Now Saul, having lived in Tarsus and spending the next 10 years in Tarsus, he would have been living face to face with these dark powers. There were shrines and temples all around. 
Tarsus was a very multicultural city where people of all different sorts of religions and worldviews would have been around him on a regular basis. One thing we must assume about Saul is that he would have went back to work in the family trade of making tents. Uh, the Bible and scripture shows us that, that that was his trade, that that was his family business. And we, of course, we should understand that, hopefully you do understand that walking around preaching a crucified Messiah to the Jews surely would not have made it much money. It's much different from this modern Western culture that we see today where, where a sp- uh, teaching and uh, revealing the gospel in a powerful way can actually bring in income. This wasn't the case in Paul's day. Preaching a crucified Messiah not only would not get you a paycheck, but it'd probably get get you kicked out of a town, uh, depending on how persuasive you are. So, in order to survive, Saul most certainly would have been working. Now, this is important for several reasons. Mainly being that his interactions with pagan was happening with pagans was happening on a daily basis. As a tent maker, his clientele would have been people of all sorts of religions. He would come across in, uh, all, all sorts of different people and knew very well the different cultures and philosophies and thought movements of that day. But it's also important to know that Saul spent most of his time during these 10 years working hard, but also would have plenty of time to reflect, to ponder, and to imagine Jesus being at the center of all of this Jewish thought that Paul had saturated in his life. He would work out in his mind what it really meant that Jesus was the God of Israel, the Messiah, and that a new world was launched. Knowing his scriptures, Paul would have believed that on the cross, Jesus defeated the ultimate force of evil. This would have aligned with the promises that God would one day be the God of the entire world and all the nations in it. The pagan nations were always looked at as a people to stay away from. They were evil and defiled and tainted by the dark powers of their idols and their strange worship, strange worship practices, some of them as horrible as child sacrifice and, 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 and prostitution and all of these things that just seemed so horrible to the, to the eyes of the Jewish people. It was their uh, custom and it was their understanding to stay away from these nations so that they wouldn't be defiled themselves. In fact, throughout the history of Israel, every time Israel did interact with these pagan nations, it did uh, connect with them in, in a way socially, they would fall under the judgment because God was setting them apart from these nations. But if this evil was overcome, if these powers were overthrown, then that means the pagans themselves would have been freed to worship the true God. This would mean all people now would be free to worship God and be a part of this family. Saul would spend this silent decade deepening his foundation of scripture and seeing Jesus all over the place in the Old Testament. There are lines that he's connecting in his mind that are moving throughout the Bible, pointing to Jesus, and they become central to Paul's mature thinking. And as N.T. Wright puts it in his biography on Paul, this would become foundational for what would later be known as Christian theology, which we will see in Paul's life becomes groundbreaking, groundbreaking and controversial as we move along in Acts. There was now, but this is what I want you to understand. There was now a new dimension to his zeal and loyalty. Saul was not converted. 
He did not begin to think completely different things. I like to think of him as being an enhanced version of himself because his new zeal and loyalty had a new dimension. He went to a new level, not only to the Torah, but now to Jesus, the one who filled all of scripture and is leading us into a new stage of God's plan for redemption of his creation. Now, all of this is buzzing in the mind of young, young Saul as he works along, but little does he know he's going to receive a visit from an old friend that would change the course of his life forever. And that visitor was once again Barnabas. Now, Acts tells us that there was persecution uh, scattering the Christians throughout, and it's very interesting um, We'll see because the very persecution that Saul was a part of was the very persecution that scattered the Christians into the world and would start a movement that he would eventually connect to. We'll get to that in a second. But in Acts eleven nineteen, the Bible says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, up to this point, the gospel was primarily seen as being Jewish and for the Jews. But let's focus on Antioch for a second, one of the cities mentioned above. Antioch was north of Jerusalem, but south of Turkey, and it was on the coast of the Mediterranean, and it was a connecting piece of land to major cities and nations. And anyone familiar with Second Temple period or ancient uh, Near East periods or uh, know or recognize how important connecting pieces of land were? They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have helicopters. So a majority of the travel was land travel. So if you were in a connecting piece of land to other major cities and nations, you would see a lot of traffic. You would see a lot of different going back and forth. So there would be a lot of income come coming through the city. One would have to travel through Antioch to get to the more prominent cities and areas of that time. So to say it shortly, this was a very multicultural and busy area. And now here we begin to see for the first time ever that uh, this new this new way of living was, was birthing through the uh, power of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and different nations, different races, different ethnicities were now coming together and identifying themselves as one family. And this was revolutionary. In our in our world, especially in America, it's hard to imagine this being a big deal because that's really what America is. Uh, we're all Americans and that's different cultures, different ethnicities. But um, there was something revolutionary about this happening at this time because that just didn't happen. Different races didn't come together and identify themselves as family. Now, sure, they could talk and, and, and interact with each other, but this was a deep connection, a family connection. And uh, reflecting deeper upon this, it wouldn't take long to realize how potentially explosive the idea of different races and backgrounds coming together as one family. Now, this could be really good, but this had a lot of, uh, of potential to, to turn out bad in a lot of ways. From the outside looking in, surely people would have been wondering, what is going on? And from the inside, there's this fresh new energy and love flowing through the family of God, This the followers of Jesus that are uniting them together. But what about Jewish tradition. 
Was all of that thrown out the window with this new energy and this new love and this new commitment? Do we just get rid of Jewish tradition or do we make everybody follow it? Well, what about the culture of the Gentiles that they bring to the table, their culture, their ideas, their understanding, their practice? Do they need to leave that behind as well? How do they merge their lives together? How do they merge their cultures together? How do they merge their their different perspectives together and remain united as the children of God? Well, when word got to Jerusalem, who at this time, this was basically the hub for Jesus' activity and leadership, Barnabas was sent to check in on these new young communities that they heard were uh, being birthed. So when Barnabas arrived, he enjoyed it. He saw this fresh new eagerness for Jesus. There was life and there was expectation and there was power flowing through these new communities. The gospel was doing its work firsthand in people's lives. The amazing thing that Barnabas was witnessing was the powers of the idols and gods were broken and people were truly being freed to worship the one true God. But Barnabas would have instantly saw that there's a need for these new communities to be taught how to think, how to live, how to understand the God who had rescued them. How does somebody with absolutely no Jewish background, absolutely no understanding of scripture now follow the one who fulfilled all of scripture? And, and, and they needed to learn how to remain united with all of these different cultures that were involved, not to say the least Jewish culture. So there was no one that Barnabas could think of that knew the scriptures better, that had more passion and zeal to teach about Jesus than Saul of Tarsus. So Barnabas sets out to grab Saul and find Saul as we have envisioned him, working in Tarsus along with his family. Now, Saul would have welcomed this new task with eagerness, and indeed he did because he had a lot to share. Ten years of reflection 10 years of soaking in Jesus at the center of all of his scripture memory and knowledge. This would have been overflowing in Saul at this point. The Bible tells us that Barnabas and Saul would have spent a year in Tarsus, teaching and helping this young church to form their own understanding of the God of Israel and how Jesus embodied all that was written within the Jewish scriptures. But yet, even more importantly, there would have been strong emphasis on the defeat of the dark powers and forces of the world. Think about this community. These former pagans were liberated. They were free. They were worshiping God freely, no, more, no, no, more, uh, no longer bound down by idolatry and, and, and the power of the idols that they used to worship. And they would need to know this so that they would not slip back into idolatry, so that they would not slip back into this false worship. And the Jewish people would need to know this as well, because they had always grown up being told to live their lives separate from these pagans. But now they're a one family. Now they're connected in unity and there was no more barriers. However, because the forces that enslaved the pagan nations and Israel themselves had been dealt with at the cross, they needed to understand that. They needed to understand that there was nothing keeping the pagans from worshiping the true God or being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Because there was now no more barrier, barrier separating them. Jesus defeated these powers at the cross. 
And now their understanding was every human being who is cleansed by the blood of Jesus and regenerated by the work of God's spirit is now invited into the family of God. And this would have been what Saul and Barnabas would be teaching this new church that Jew and Gentiles could come together. And I imagine in these gatherings and uh, and circles, as they're listening to the word, they're looking at each other, the people that they used to live separately from, the people that they used to keep their distance from, now they love with this fresh new power and energy that's flowing through them through the Holy Spirit. It's uniting them together. It's causing them to love each other like brothers and sisters. And I just imagine this uh, just radical revolutionary scene as something that's never been seen in the world before. But when a man was given revelation of a coming famine that was going to hit the land, Saul and Barnabas were instantly drawn to bring an offering to the Jerusalem church. Interesting fact is, in the very, very beginning, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, the Jerusalem church had become radically generous, and there were people who would sell their house and bring all of their money to the apostles' feet, and they would spread it out throughout the land to uh, take care of the poor and the widows. The problem is they got rid of all of their wealth, and now a lot, a majority of the Jerusalem church was now poor. So there was a need, and the and Saul and Barnabas would have been aware of this. So when they heard got wind of a famine coming, they instantly gathered an offering to bring out to the to the Jerusalem church. Now this sounds all great and everything, but this brought up some dynamics that we need to work through. How is Jerusalem going to feel about this new way of life? These new churches were filled with ex-pagans. The very people the Jews were avoiding their entire lives uh, in loyalty towards God. How were these devout Jewish followers of Jesus going to feel about all of this? And what about the money they were bringing? Was this going to be seen as pressure, as a bribe, as a way to be excused for this new way of living? Or maybe this was going to be seen as a pressure to get the Jerusalem church to follow along with the same way of living. Paul and Barnabas would have been sensitive to this. Would this church go uh, receive this offering in love or would they receive this in a way that we are trying to get them to live the way we've been living? Even more, they were bringing a young man named Titus. Titus was a Greek and he was not circumcised. Now, for those of you who may not know, circumcision was the identifying mark for all loyal and devout male Jews. So the fact that they were bringing this new Christian, this new this new family member into uh the into the temple likely and into the into Jerusalem with them and he was a Greek and he was not even circumcised, was this going to be taken as a slap in the face? Now, all of this certainly would have been a tension in Saul's mind, especially considering his reactions he received the last time he was in Jerusalem. He was the man teaching that now he's this man teaching that there's no more barriers or differences between Jews and pagans. He's the one telling these uh, Jewish followers to to sit at the table with pagans, to fellowship with pagans, to ex-pagans, I should say, and to treat these ex-pagans as if they're brother and sister. Well, we'll just have to wait for next week to continue this unfolding story. But at this point, we can see the deep need for Christian theology forming in the mind of Paul and these new communities that are being birthed by the Holy Spirit. Are we as a church following this same model? How important is theology in our own personal lives? Have we worked out in our minds what it means that Jesus is now the king of the universe? 
Well, do our lives reflect this? Do we see our time and our talents as ways and opportunities to reflect God to the world around us, to unite people under Jesus, to allow the Spirit to lead and guide us? Are we like Paul, passionately studying and reflecting upon what the scriptures say and seeing Jesus right in the middle of it? Paul would write later in his letter to the Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's Romans 12 too. Working out in our minds what it means that Jesus is king. Are we allowing the spirit to renew our minds so that we can be transformed and begin to live our lives in ways that properly reflect God in his image through everything we do? I want to encourage you to allow his word to resonate in your minds as well as your hearts. Think it out. Jesus is king. And like Paul, this means so much more than we may pick up at a first glance. Let us be the diligent and disciplined church who sets out to study, learn, grow, and be the true reflection of Jesus in this world as we await the new heaven and new earth where all of creation will be restored and Jesus will perfectly rule through us. As Paul writes in Romans, uh, all of creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to walk in the role as God's image in this world. What does that mean for your own personal life? Spend some time with Jesus this week and reflect upon your own life and circumstances. How are you allowing the powerful, transforming gospel to produce fruit and reflect God's culture and values around you? And as always, I'll be praying for you. And we'll be looking forward to moving forward in our story as Saul, Barnabas, and Titus make their way to the Jerusalem church with an offering and a fresh vision and understanding of this new way of living. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mcarrollnow. Have a great day. Until next time.